is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The hoax is the idea that the Trump campaign was uh, was the beneficiary uh, of a concerted effort together with the Russians to affect the 2016 election. As to that, I don't think there's any evidence publicly. There are too many guns on the street, too many people with criminal records on the street, and there is a shortage of values about what is right, what is wrong, what is acceptable, what is condoned, and what is condemned. There's nothing we can do for our children that's better than allowing their parents to spend more time and be more involved in their lives. As long as we have pride in our beliefs, courage in our convictions, and faith in our God, then we will not fail. And as long as our country remains true to its values, loyal to its citizens, and devoted to its creator, then our best days are yet to come. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Great to be with you today. It is just another fantastic day to be, day to be an American, and I'm excited about our program today. Here on the show, it's still Truth For Youth Week. You have got all of the information right there up on the live stream for our terrestrial listeners. It's truthforyouth.com. The book has the seal of approval from the teenagers at Shea Washington. So you're going to want to get your hands on your free copy by calling 800-733-4737, 800-733-4737, or heading over to truthforyouth.com. Today on the program, we have... A really wonderful guest for you in this first hour, Daniel Mark. He's a former chairman of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. He's also an assistant professor of political science at Villanova. He'll be joining us to talk about the Department of Justice and their Religious Liberty Task Force, which is continuing the American tradition of prioritizing religious liberty, which is super important right now as we see the First Amendment infringed upon by Google and Alphabet companies and Facebook and YouTube, et cetera. We need that. We need that here. Uh, and, and it's good to see the Trump administration prioritizing that. We're going to be taking calls in the third hour. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think about the show, what you think about uh, whatever you've got in your mind. It'll be kind of a free for all last segment. You can call in and talk about whatever. 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. And then in hour two, we are going to be talking about Uh, This proposal by Marco Rubio, he says he's going to do family leave. He wants to have the U.S. government get involved in whether or not you get to take off from work and uh, stay home with your new baby or what have you. I think it's a terrible idea. It sounds like socialism and it sounds like big government. And I can't believe Marco Rubio is wasting his time on it when we have so many pressing issues in this country, like immigration. Uh, But he's soft on a lot of that. And and and. I like Marco Rubio, but I got a problem with this, this latest proposal. So we'll discuss that. We'll also get into how Jeff Sessions is really putting his foot down in the best possible way about not getting involved in this latest activism by court judges, uh, appellate court judges who are saying that DACA has to continue. In other words, they get to overrule the executive and tell the executive that an executive order by a previous sitting president has to continue on into the presidency of an opposing party leader. 
It's it's amazing. It's a, a, an astounding development. We'll talk about that. And then, of course, more on collusion. Uh, even CNN is having trouble keeping their contributors in line, uh, towing the party line on how the president's guilty of something. Even their contributors are having trouble keeping that in line. So right now, I want to address something that was said yesterday on the show, which was by me. I said that America is no longer a Christian nation. Now, that doesn't impugn the founding of this country. In fact, I'm absolutely rock solid on the fact that our country was founded as primarily everybody but one of them were professing Christians, the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And you can go over and over and over again. And you have to go back into the podcast. If you're a new listener to the show, welcome in. Um, If you're new to this program, you don't know my history on this. I'm an Air Force veteran. I'm a fourth generation decorated military veteran. So my father, my grandfather, and my great-grandfather all served this country, a couple of them in wartime. And I'm married to a veteran. I know the history of this nation. In fact, one of my favorite books on the subject is The 5,000-Year Leap, which actually goes into this deep dive into what the founders looked at when they were considering what type of government we were going to have. And when they, they didn't just land on a republic like eeny, meeny, miny, mo, They came to that by a realization that it was the only way to prevent, because in democracies you have mob rule, and straight democracies. And they didn't want that, but they wanted the people to be represented. So you didn't have to do government all day, every day, in addition to running your farm or your private business or taking care of kids at home. And so it it was a, a real major big deal for them coming up with what they came up with to leave for us, you and I, people who are walking around as free as a bird today in America, enjoying the liberties that we have. And in the cornerstones of the buildings in Washington, D.C., if you read books by Cohen about the 9-11 attack and what they discovered in, in the chapel that's near there where George Washington gave his inaugural address, all the different things that play into the history of this country, obviously we were founded as a Christian nation. Every, uh, there, was, there were very few individuals at that time in our history who weren't Christians, who were a part of the founding or were living in what were then the colonies who, that became these United States. But I have to give you an analogy when we talk about whether or not we're still a Christian nation. So am I saying that Christians don't live here? No. But bear with me here because I'm going to explain this. I want an understanding of why I said what I said yesterday. So yesterday I said we're no longer a Christian nation because let's say I meet you and you're an athlete. You're physically fit. You have 9% body fat. You're mostly muscle and you can run a five-minute mile without really breaking a sweat. You are physically trim and fit. You're an athlete. Now let's say... Five years from now, I encounter you again. And while you were an athlete when I first encountered you, you are now 60 pounds overweight. You can't run a mile at all. You have joint pain. You're beginning to develop arthritis. And you're borderline diabetic. And your BMI is in the obese range. Can I still call you an athlete? No, I can't. Can you be an athlete again? Absolutely. It'll take a lot of hard work and dedication and a single-minded Uh, kind of pursuit of getting that extra weight off and becoming fit and trim again, it can be done, but you are not currently an athlete. So yes, our country was founded on Christian principles. The Judeo-Christian ethic is embedded in our Anglo-Saxon form of law. And all everywhere you look, this country is still underpinned by our Christian founding. But the people who dwell in this country, when you say are we a Christian nation? Sure, 88% of those polled, or I'm sorry, a little less than 80% of those polled say that they are Christians, meaning they believe in God. Um, you know, they believe 
somewhat of the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. But when you drill down and you start talking about what people actually practice, what do they do for their Christianity? Do they attend church? Do they witness? Do they read their Bible? Do they pray? Do they believe that when they pray, their prayers are answered? Do they believe that Jesus is interested in their lives and operates in the world today? That's a totally different story. And so when I talk about us no longer being a Christian nation, I'm talking about my hope, my prayer, what I pray for, which is that we would have a revival in this country and we would return to that which we have known, that we would not stray as we're doing now, but that we would return to the respect that we once had for not just, you know, quote unquote religion, but for the true practice of being a bondservant to Jesus Christ and a disciple who goes out helping others to become Christians. I want to give you a little bit of information that supports what I'm talking about here. And this isn't to depress anyone. In fact, my show's uh, mostly about encouraging. It's about equipping, informing, and encouraging. But I also believe that if, if I go to the doctor and I'm experiencing pain and the doctor says, you're an awesome person, you don't feel pain, that doesn't help me at all. What I need is a doctor who is an expert to come in and take a look at my condition. I describe my symptoms, they run some tests, and then they prescribe, maybe there are no pills, maybe it's, Stacy. you need to go to bed earlier, you need to drink more water, you need to get up earlier, you need to exercise at least, you know, 35 minutes a day. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that I need to stop, you know, if I were a smoker, if I were a heavy drinker, stop doing those things. Or maybe it is that I need some steroids or something like that to, to deal with an autoimmune condition or something of that nature. The point is, I don't want to go in and have the doctor tell me everything's fine when clearly there's something wrong. That's not going to fix it. And what we as Christians have done is we've kind of, uh, many of us have checked out of politics. We have 30 million adult Christians who don't vote in elections. We have people who are really, they're Christians and they're very faithful, but they don't tell anybody about it. So when people see the fruit of their Christianity, of their walk with the Lord in their lives, and they ask them about it, they say, oh, well, you know, I, I studied hard and I got a good education. Well, of course you did. And that, that is hard work and it's to be applauded. But what about the times when you thought you couldn't make it through? What about the times when you had family difficulties or a loss in your family and you leaned on Jesus and he got you through those moments? How about sharing that? We don't do that anymore. So Barna.com is where I get the information on the status of religious life in America, besides looking around me, and we can see that our culture is very sick. It's not that we have no culture. It's that we have a culture that is very sick, and it's symptomatic for the deeper underlying problems that we have where we've taken God out of our public life. We've removed him from the K-12 through public education system. We've removed him from public higher ed. We have pushed him out of our, our entertainment I, there was a really fascinating study that I went over on the show once, I think about a year ago, about how often or infrequently, really, a Christian is represented in television or movies mainstream. If they are represented, they are an oddity, a kook, someone to be mocked and derided. True Christianity, while practiced all over America today, is not represented in our media. So we do have some fantastic things that go on in this country. Our philanthropic arms, our, our churches do so much that's so good. But we also have false theologies being taught in our country. So as long as there are people in this country, as long as there are people practicing Christianity, it's never going to be perfect. But we have had a checkup. Barna Group does these checkups all the time. And we are not as Christian as we once were. 
practice-wise. It's fine to ask someone, Stacy, are you an athlete? I work out five days a week, but I'm no athlete. You take the metrics for an athlete and ask me if I meet those, I'm going to have to sadly say no. But I, I would tell you, I, I exercise a lot. I drink a lot of water and I eat, I eat healthy. So which is it? Am I an athlete or not? This isn't about what we say about America. And I'm always a proponent of America. I'm always a strong supporter of America. You can't go abroad. You can't drive in Saudi Arabia while it's illegal for Saudi Arabians to drive as I have. You can't go into communist Russia as a freshman in high school and see what it looks like outside of Moscow on the train, see how people in Moscow lived back then when it was the USSR and come out of that and not love America. You can't walk Dachau and smell the stench of the dead there and feel the somber heaviness of how many people died there and not come back to America and love it. So I love this country. I don't love it more than I love God, but I definitely respect and honor the fact that I get to be an American citizen. And when I was on active duty, that green ID card afforded me command sponsorship that meant that there weren't any other governments that wanted to do anything to me that would cause our government to lash back. That's where it comes from for me. I appreciate it because I've been all over the world and this is the only place I want to be a citizen of. But when we talk about whether or not we're a Christian nation, we Christians really have a lot of work to do, a lot of prayer, a lot of fasting, a lot of repenting, and a lot of work. So Barna, just one of the studies that they have on their website, fantastic work that they do, is about sharing faith. And they talk about sharing faith then and sharing faith now. They talk about how a growing number of Christians don't see sharing the news as the good news as a personal responsibility. Just 10% of Christians in 1993 who had shared about their faith agreed with the statement that converting people to Christianity is the job of the local church, as opposed to the job of the individual. 25 years later, 3 in 10 Christians who have had a conversation about faith say evangelism is the local church's responsibility, a nearly threefold increase. There's more here on this, and we'll unpack it as we go along. We have a guest up next. Daniel Mark will be with us when we return from the break. But I wanted to explain that because... This isn't about me bad-mouthing America or being anything like Barack Obama. Contrary, I'm the very opposite of him when I talk about this country because I believe we are exceptional and this is the best place to be a black woman or a woman of any kind, a Christian or a person of faith of any kind on the face of this planet. But I'm not going to say our country is well in her spiritual life when she's not. So I hope that explains some things for anyone who was interested. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back with more during our fantastic push, truthforyouth.com. What if I told you that you could clean your family's laundry and help reach the next generation at the same time? That opportunity is here through a company called Redeem Clean. Every time you use Redeem Clean products, you help support the ministry of the American Family Association. In addition to your regular AFA giving, Redeem Clean Laundry Detergent allows you to increase your support of AFA just by continuing to wash your family's clothes. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made in the USA. And they were developed exclusively for the support of the American Family Association. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more, find options, and order Redeem Clean products at afastore.net. That's afastore.net. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Here's a principle you can take to the bank. Doing what is right and being faithful at it does not mean we'll never suffer. Some years ago, I went through a season of testing. It was a pretty tough stretch there. This came on the heels of a time of great fruitfulness in my personal life and in our ministry. Then suddenly, I was in the midst of a hard time, a stretch of difficulty. It turned out to be a good reminder that testing and suffering are a normal part of the journey. Let me tell you about a situation in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, beginning in verse 20. Hezekiah was a tremendous king. God used him there in Judah to usher in reform and revival. Great things happened. Listen to these words. And thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was right and what was good and true before the Lord his God. In every work in which he began in the service of the house of God, in law and in commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. But listen to the opening verse in chapter 32. After these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them for himself. On the heels of faithful service, here comes incredible adversity. Hezekiah was a godly man. There was nothing he did to deserve this suffering and pain, but it was all of God. In spite of Hezekiah's faithfulness and consistency, Judah was still tested and they suffered. Here's what I want you to remember today. Testing and suffering are not enemies. They may be our allies in producing in us the sweetness of the character of Christ to keep us and to deepen us in our dependence upon Him. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us today at StacyOnTheRight.com and at StacyOnTheRight on Twitter and Instagram where you can find out more about me. You can also go to AFR.net and find the podcast as well as Urban Family Talk. And I want to encourage you, if you're in the Tupelo area or plan to be August 17th and 18th, register for our Marriage and Family Conference. I'm going to be a speaker there as well as Miki and Will Addison. Abraham Hamilton III, and some national speakers who will be joining us. And so it's going to be really exciting to have that opportunity to meet you, shake your hand, and spend some time talking about how we can better walk out our faith in our marriages and our parenting. Uh, So I want to give that website again that I was getting the information from, all of the studies about uh, religion and American life. It's Barna.com, B-A-R-N-A.com. You can find out a ton of things there. They have research, and then they also have the surveys. They have some blogs that they that they post. They have uh, really they're well respected. And they've been around for a very long time. And the reason I love the work that they do is because they take a pretty good sample size and they ask questions, not the leading questions, not the ones that are meant to get a certain result. They're really trying to take the temperature of America. And they were the ones who first noticed that Black Americans were being drug along to the left and believing, uh, kind of giving up on being pro-traditional marriage and all of that during the Obama administration. They were the first ones to say, hey, wait, you know, he's he, he's having an impact here. And so you can uh, read their research at Barna.com. Right now, I am so excited to speak with Daniel Mark, former chairman of U- the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom and assistant professor of political science at Villanova. Daniel, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So uh, let's talk about this. We, you have a piece up over at townhall.com, 
and, and it's about the DOJ's Religious Liberty Task Force and their tradition of prioritizing religious liberty. Tell the listeners exactly what's going on here. Sure. Well, uh, well, it's great news to see that the administration is doing this. Uh, unfortunately, you know, when I when I spent the time, my four years on the commission, we deal we dealt with religious freedom outside the U.S., uh, and so we weren't focused on the violations that were going on in our own country, and yet I was, of course, well aware um, that there were plenty of problems uh, with our government. It was kind of ironic. We were advising other governments uh, on how they could improve religious freedom in their countries, and at the same time watching our government at home uh, violate people's religious freedom or threaten to do so. And so it's really good that uh, the Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, uh, has announced that the Department of Justice is going to have a task force to focus on religious freedom, to make sure uh, that the government isn't violating people's religious freedom. And it really just one piece of the many ways in which the administration is prioritizing religious freedom at home as well as abroad. So for those of us who perhaps we haven't seen as much news about this, or maybe we're not as aware, is religious freedom under attack in America? Or is that just some white ring, white right-wing propaganda where, you know, radio hosts like me who are Bible thumpers are over here screaming and throwing a hissy fit about nothing. Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. Most people, like you said, probably won't see news about this. I mean, this is the kind of thing that's just not going to be covered in the mainstream media, uh, and probably for two two sad reasons. One, that people aren't willing to give the Trump administration credit where credit is due, and which is not to say they do everything right, but this is something that should be really important to everyone, and you're not going to see uh, any stories uh, giving the administration credit. And second, unfortunately, religious liberty has become something of a partisan issue in our country, and, and that's a real tragedy. I mean, fortunately, I even saw it on my work with international religious freedom. But but it really is a shame that uh, during especially the Obama years, we saw a variety of ways in which uh, government agencies were assaulting religious freedom. Obviously, the lawsuits over Obamacare uh, and the mandate that required uh, employers to cover abortion and contraception and those sorts of things um, were some of the biggest problems. The famous uh, lawsuit that went all the way to the Supreme Court for the Little Sisters of the Poor. Um, and so it's great. Obviously, the Trump administration has already, uh, since day one, been rolling back a lot of those things. But this means there's an office now in the Justice Department, you know, the, the federal government's law division. There's an office there uh, to focus on this and will probably also help uh, Americans in other ways when they're discriminated against for their religious liberty, even if it's not um, being discriminated, even if they're not being discriminated against by the government itself, but by other Americans. And so I want to just make a couple of quick salient points. And I, first of all, I want to give a quote from um, actual Attorney General Jeff Sessions. When he announced the formation of the special task force, he said, freedom of religion has been a core American principle from the very beginning of our country. Indeed, it is our first freedom. It's the reason this country was formed. Besides the taxation without representation, most of the colonists came over here because they didn't want to be a part of the Roman Catholic Church. So they didn't intend originally not to be British citizens, but they came over because they wanted to practice whatever religion they wanted, and they weren't able to do that in the Roman Catholic Church. They then had taxation without representation and went on to, you know, fight a bloody war so that they could be free and form this country. So it's important that he starts out this task force. You know, the impetus of it is founded on the on the history of our country. But it also is important because one of the unintended consequences of religious persecution is that 
a lot of people who aren't actually being persecuted themselves will kind of shrink back from the practice of their faith or they will be less, uh, less likely to share their faith with other people because they feel like it's not welcome in the public sphere. Like I found out our children when they were uh, in one of them when they were kin- in kindergarten, she wasn't praying over her lunch. And I said, why, why would you not pray over your lunch? And she said, well, a kid told me I'm not allowed to pray at school. And so, you oh know me, I was, I was at the school building because I volunteered there like three times a week. So I was already on my way there. And I was like, <laughs> some kid in this lunchroom told my daughter she can't just bow her head and say a silent prayer over, the, over her food. And one teacher said, well, if she bows her head, then the other kids know she's praying. And then they wonder why they're not praying. I said, that's not the point of me coming here. It's not, we're, we're not <laughs> talking about the other kids. We're talking about my child. She has a right as an American citizen to pray over her food without other kids infringing on that. And then the other teacher said, actually, you're right. She does. And no one should tell her that she can't do that. No teacher is allowed to do that. And if we knew that the student had told her, you know, we would have said something. But it had a very chilling effect on because how did I notice she wasn't praying over her food? She was at home not praying over her food. I'm like, what are you doing? We're not heathens. Right. We don't just dive in. Yeah. You see? Yeah, no, and that's it's it's so important in that regard because it's not only I mean we have the times where the government is infringing on on our rights, but we also have the cases where people don't know what their rights are, and this is such a great need for education. What are my rights at school? What are my rights in the workplace? So on and so forth. And then also you have like the situation that you encountered where you had if it, you know as a public school, let's say you have a government employee, a teacher out in the public school who's misrepresenting what the law is and what 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 person rights are. You know, the one who got it wrong in the first place who said, oh, well, they can't do that. And, and so it really is very important um, that government and private organizations work together to make sure that Americans are, A, educated about their rights, and then B, uh, that they have avenues for the enforcement of those rights if they're violated. Absolutely. And one thing we've seen, um, and, and this is proven by, again, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to only give props to Barna. I, I also posted the link to your piece uh, at, on, it's at townhall.com, and I posted that in the live stream on, on uh, Facebook. And anyone who's listening via the regular radio, you can always go there later uh, when you're back by your computer or your phone. But, you know, when we talk about who in America this applies to, religious freedom, it really applies to everyone, which is a point you made earlier that I want to highlight, which is if you're an atheist or someone who doesn't practice their faith, maybe you're a Christian, but you're not practicing, you don't go to church, you still want there to be religious freedom because if you should ever decide you want to practice any faith of any kind, religious freedom means you can. If you crack down on one faith, eventually all faiths get cracked down on. And, you know, studies show half of Americans are Bible users. Bible users are are more likely to be boomers, city dwellers and Southerners. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting factoids about who reads the Bible, who goes to church, who goes to church more than once a week, et cetera, et cetera. That's right. And, I mean, your point about atheists is really important, not only because you might one day be the person who wants to be in a church, but also because the atheists, too, have a right under freedom of religion to not believe. I mean, unfortunately, uh, it's sad, but, you know, we dealt with many cases in many countries around the world where you don't really have a right to be an atheist, you know, where there's a, <laughs> said, you know, thank God for this country um, where a person can believe whatever he wants, and even if a person chooses to believe nothing, uh, that's going to be protected as well. You know, we might all hope together that person comes to God, but in the meantime, uh, really important that that person isn't going to be imprisoned uh, for denying the existence of God or something like that. Right. And, and so 
I mean, are you with me, Daniel, that probably one of the reasons why we have so many people who are like participating in the Freedom From Religion Foundation and things like that is because they can? Because you can't you can't be a part of the Freedom From Religion Foundation in China because it's a communist country where they are currently cracking down on Christians and churches because get this. Christianity is a Western concept that does not work with communism. That's their official line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, not, not so much, of course. And, you know, I, we would never say here that, you know, the fact that the people have the freedom to be atheists is what's making them atheists. That would be, uh, that'd be a pretty bad rap. But you're absolutely right that um, we should, as much as uh, we might not agree with the political agenda of groups like, you know, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, uh, we, we should count ourselves very lucky to be in a country where such a thing can exist. Because the alternative, as you said, is China, where they're knocking crosses off the tops of churches, and they're throwing priests in prison, and they're torturing the Falun Gong, and they're destroying Tibetan Buddhism. You know, you can go down persecuting the Uyghur Muslims. You can go down to every single religious group, pretty much. If they're in China, they're being persecuted. And so, um, you know, the freedom uh, to dissent here comes with a cost. It means that people can be unbelievers as well, um, but obviously much better to be in our shoes than in their shoes. I mean, it, honestly, we, we don't even appreciate how wonderful it is. I have, I don't even know how many Bibles we own anymore because there's always some new version of a Bible that I'll see online. I'm like, ooh, I don't even know what that's like. So, th- you know, you order it or you buy it at the church bookstore at, or a friend gives you a Bible and you're like, wow, this is neat. And so we have so many Bibles. It's so available to us that we don't even, we don't even understand what it's like to have a church in your home that you're meeting secretly and everyone's parking and mark, you know, walking miles away to get there because if they find out you're holding a church service in your home, you're all going to jail. I mean, we don't even understand that. Yeah, and if I could just add one really important note on that, I mean, the work I did internationally makes the problems we have at home absolutely pale in comparison. You know, we're complaining about this, complaining about that, but it's, you know, it's not China, it's not Iran, it's not Saudi Arabia. And yet, I think the lesson there for us is not that we should be complacent about what we have here. I think it's quite the opposite. I think the lesson is how vigilant, you know, we have this very precious inheritance from the founders, the pilgrims you mentioned, and so on, uh, and it's really important that the Trump administration is doing the kind of thing it's doing, uh, because these are the steps that ensure that religious freedom is preserved in our law and in our culture. Because if we're not careful, I'm not saying we'll be China tomorrow, of course, we don't want to get hysterical, but, uh, you know, even in Western Europe, it's not as good as it is in the United States, and that's a very similar culture. And so we have to be really careful to continue to defend these things in our law and in our culture to make sure that we preserve what we have here. Yeah, and I, it's, it just can't be stressed enough that, so it's like a muscle that you don't use. It atrophies. Mm-hmm. It doesn't atrophy right away. You don't notice the weakness in that muscle or that it's not as strong right away. It's usually when you try to do something and the muscle is completely kind of weakened out and you're like, I can't even untwist this big jar. You should be able to do this so easily. That type of thing. And it's the same with our religious freedom. And that is why I... I I don't mind seeing people being so rabidly opposed to and so willing to stand up and fight vigorously organizations like the Freedom From Religion Foundation because they've been entrenched and working on eliminating religious freedom for decades now. We've only just woken up to what they're doing. And this work by the Trump administration, I agree with you, the Trump administration is not perfect. They are not always on my, you know, I'm, I'm not always like rah, rah, awesome. I'm no sycophant. But this is one of the things that, 
I, I believe millions of Americans have prayed, you know, please let us have a government that will at least preserve, work to preserve our religious freedom. We're not trying to make a mandatory religion for this nation or become a theocracy. We just want to maintain our constitutional right to freely assemble, practice our religion in public, and to be viable members of society without being ostracized. Oh, absolutely right. And, and the other important point about, you know, with your example of the muscle, muscle that atrophies is um, we not only need religious freedom in this country, we also need religion, because my worry is that, uh, you know, the, there's a statistic that everybody likes to go that the fastest group, growing religious group in America is the nuns, which is people who say none when they ask them, what's your religion on a survey? Yeah. You know, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the danger there, I think, is that as people um, become less religious, if that's what's really happening in America, um, the less religious they are, the less appreciation they have for religious freedom, and the more momentum groups like Freedom From Religion Foundation can get. You know, we see all these cases in America today where people, I say it's my religious freedom, and someone else says, no, that's just an excuse for discrimination, for bigotry, mm-hmm. um, and that's not true. Uh, but, you know, let's say, you know, I value uh, marriage and so on, and other people think, oh, that's just uh, a religious person who's really a bigot. Um, and if, if people are increasingly not religious, think they have a harder time appreciating the religious perspective and therefore appreciating the value. There are people ready to throw religious freedom out the window, say, you know, religious freedom, that was good for a couple hundred years, but now it's just an excuse for discrimination, so we got to throw it out. And unfortunately, there's too many, you know, court cases like that. We've won a lot of them, which is good, um, but we need to make sure that the religion muscle doesn't atrophy. Uh, you know what I have to say, Daniel? That's a fantastic point. I'll even go a step further, which is, um, it's, it's only in countries with the kind of liberty that we have, and we're at the very tip of the spear. There is no country that is more free. But in countries where they have something approaching our level of freedom, only in those countries do you hear people say, well, capitalism has kind of run its course because there's income inequality. Religious freedom has run its course because there's bigotry. You can only say yeah. that in a country as free as ours. And, it, and w- if you are unchurched and you don't know anything about religion and you've never read the Bible— then you don't see the correlation between our founding and what we have now. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing um, in your work as a former chairman on the commission and then now as an assistant professor of political science at Villanova. Daniel Mark, thank you for joining the show today. Thank you so much and thanks for having me on. All right. Talk to you again soon. That was a fantastic interview. You can find the podcast at AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com slash Stacey. Guess what? We're going to be back with more. But right now, please truthforyouth.com or 800-733-4737, 800-733-4737. We'll be back with more right after this. What does it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Our son Jamie really exemplified a statement my parents always made. Choose your friends for the sake of friendship. That seems obvious, but a lot of people choose friends because they're popular, good-looking, rich, or part of the right crowd. But Jamie was never concerned with someone's status. He was drawn to people who looked like they needed a friend. Sometimes it seemed like the less status someone had, the more likely Jamie was to hang out with them. Choose your friends based on the fact that you enjoy being around them. Instead of thinking how they might benefit you, Think about how you might benefit them. New York Times bestselling author, Tony Dungy. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com.
This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Well, the Freedom From Religion Foundation is at it again. This time, the anti-liberty group is targeting a cafe offering a 10% discount to any patrons that show a church bulletin. Starters Cafe in Chevio, Ohio is a growing brunch spot, which the owner, Justin Watson, wants to capitalize on. Since the cafe's busiest day is Sunday, offering a church flyer discount has been very popular and is similar to restaurants offering savings to veterans, moms on Mother's Day, dads on Father's Day, senior citizens, and pretty much anyone celebrating a birthday. The Freedom From Religion Foundation likens this marketing genius to whites-only policies calling it racist. Of course the go-to for anyone wanting to infringe on the rights of others is to cry racism. Fortunately, Mr. Watson is standing his ground. Perhaps someone will start a foundation to advocate for our freedom from baseless attacks from the Freedom From Religion Foundation. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. Congress is known for abandoning Washington in August. It's the fabled August recess, where lawmakers sometimes skip towns for parts of July, August, and even September. But in June, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell declared this year would be different. McConnell said he, quote, canceled the August recess. He argued there was important work to do. Well, the Senate really had one productive day in August. On August 1st, senators approved a series of big spending bills and okayed the annual defense policy bill. But McConnell didn't really cancel the August recess. The Senate was supposed to meet on August 2nd. That didn't happen. The Senate was supposed to come back to session for a vote on August 14th. That's not in the cards. Now the Senate next meets in earnest on August 15th, with a vote late that afternoon. In other words, no big action until August 16th. House members don't return until September 4th. That said, work still goes on behind the scenes on Capitol Hill, arranging details on additional spending bills to avoid a government shutdown this fall. Also, the Senate Judiciary Committee is busy collecting documents tied to Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Suzanne, what did you think about this op-ed of someone saying that it's wrong for parents to take their children there and he's heartbroken when he sees kids at these rallies? Well, <laughs> over-exaggerated might be a good word. I was, um, again, put into the position of we are being labeled and put into a box in a category such as deplorables or whatever the phrase word is of the day. And it, it's just another swipe at a, at a large group of people who are just simply supporting our president. And to put us in a category in a box like that, it's insulting. And you don't regret taking your children, do you? Not at all. And I, actually, we can't wait for the next one. <laughs> all right. So, I mean... The same people who think it's okay for you to take your child to a gay pride parade where men are naked, painted, their bodies are painted in the rainbow, but they're basically nude. And they have these small children walking next to these men with their bodies exposed. Those same people, the ones who think it's okay for a drag queen to read to your preschooler, they're the same ones who think, yeah, you shouldn't take your child to a Trump rally. Yeah, I think I'll just decide what I'm going to do with my kids. And you can, you know, continue to not be in control of your kids. How about that? Uh, welcome back to the program. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm also the co-chair of the National Advisory Council, Project 21, a part of the National Center for Public Policy Research. And uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. We are just moving on through the program. It is Truth For Youth Week. You can call into the show to talk about anything right now while I'm getting ready to give you the information for Truth For Youth. The call lines are open. It's 866-963-2037. 
And then we also have the truthforyouth.com. You, you can get a free Truth For Youth Bible, which is so exciting. And what you also get this, um, it's a wonderful hashtag number six bracelet that you get along with it. The Bible is free. If you need multiple copies, they're only $2 a copy. It's got the fantastic manga cartoons in the front, which have a message in each one of them. And then the New Testament in the back. Really, really great resource. I already had our teenagers read it and they all gave it their seal of approval. So totally Washington kid approved. Um, And while we're going through that, I have to um, just give you one more resource. So this dog-eared copy of Growing in Prayer by Mike Bickle is the one of the resources that I was exposed to from our pastor at church. And as you can see, I've really, I've used mine quite a bit and I continue to use it quite a bit because one of the things that we as Christians are called to do is pray for this nation. We're called to pray for this country and to activate our faith through prayer. When we say we have faith, it's wonderful, great, but how do you walk that out? Well, one of the ways is to pray. And so one of the pages that I have marked in this book that I refer to a lot is uh, one of the instructions. It's a chapter. It's Appendix D, actually. Prayers for victory over cultural strongholds. And we have some cultural strongholds in this country that we have to pray about. So how do we pray about them? Well, they give some examples in the book Mike Bickle does. One of them is justice issues. Pray for a greater release of God's power, love, and provision in relation to abortion, human trafficking, genocide, economic slavery, injustice, and so on. So the subjects that they cover here in this appendix are justice issues, crisis events, political issues, economic issues, family issues, media issues, and educational issues. So one of the things that we were discussing yesterday, and it's a continuing subject matter for the program as we weave in and out, is family issues. So I want to do that prayer with you right now. And it's not that it's a prayer in here that you have to read word for word, but you can pray it. And then um, you can also, then after you've, you've prayed, you can add to it. That, that's what prayer is. It's a conversation with God. So here we are on uh, family issues. And I want to I pray about this with you right now here on the program. And then we're going to go to the phones. And I understand we have a caller. So we'll do this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come to you in prayer. We praise your name. You're beautiful, wonderful, magnificent, powerful, holy, and you are our creator and we worship you. We are asking for a greater release of your love, wisdom, and power with regard to the fatherless, youth issues, marriages, divorce, domestic violence, widows, the elderly, the disabled, anyone under the sound of my voice that's experiencing any of these issues, as well as those in the country who aren't listening to Christian radio, who've maybe never, ever had an interaction with you, we pray for them as well. We ask for a special dispensation and revival to flow through this country as it pertains to family issues and marriage and children and relationships. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So now I want to go to the phones because, you know, (laughs) <laughs> new, new, new stuff going on here at Stacy on the right. Um, we have David from Virginia. Thanks for calling in to Stacy on the right. Hi, Stacy. Thank you uh, for taking my call. And uh, I wanted to comment on the last interview that you had. Uh, one of the last things that he said was that um, he feels that the um, non-religious people, those that don't claim any religion, uh, that that segment is growing and. I agree with it, with it that it is. Uh, I believe the millennials, uh, well, I think it was 
Barna, but I'm not sure uh, that um, I had a study and said that 50-some percent of millennials believe socialism is a good thing for our country. And so uh, where did they come from? Where did millennials come from? And, and they came from homes. They mm-hmm. came from, many of them, from Christian homes. And I believe that the, all of the, the root cause for all of the social ills in our, in our society are, are rooted in the breakdown of the family. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Christian parents who today do the same thing that the world has taught them to do. We outsource our children from the time that they're eight weeks old now. And we outsource them to professionals, and we go off to make our mark in the world. And uh, we're not doing what God has called us to do and commanded us to do, and that's to love Him with all our hearts and teach our children and train them up in the way they should go, teach them diligently. And uh, instead, they go off uh, into uh, public schools and, and are taught. And our, well, Colossians 2.8 says it well. It says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's the effect of us outsourcing our children for everything and not giving them the time that God has commanded us to spend with them, teaching them and training them and showing them how to walk with God and fear the Lord. And if we don't get back to that, we're going to uh, see more terrible things occur. But we, we can fix it if we fix the home. The Bible says, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. But if we do what he's told us to do in Psalm 127, the end result is the last part of verse 5, where our kids will not be ashamed, but shall speak with the enemies in the gate. And so um, we can fix it, but we have to fix it at home. And in and, and, and every family, every father, every mother, to every, and with every child. Amen. Amen. And so, David, thank you so much for sharing that, and especially those Bible verses. And I have so much more on this to share, and we are going to, as I I keep saying, it's a part of the conversation that we're having here. And I have some resources that I want to share on the program as well, but I want to be orderly. Um, David, I have to say, so when you you pinpoint that, that moment where families are having the kids, right? You got the husband and the wife, and it's starting off great, but then wives are going back to work. And I know this sounds so antiquated to people and I'm a woman and I'm working right now. So you're like, well, what about you? But I stayed home with our kids until they were in middle school. I didn't start doing any activism or any of this stuff you see me doing now until our kids were in school all day. And even then with the job that I have, I can be there. I can take them to school and pick them up. I can attend all of their events and still do this job. So it's not me judging anyone who's working. And there are families where they need two incomes, but I have to say, when you, when you talk about us outsourcing what happens with the kids, we don't have that same connection with them. We don't know everything that's going on with them. And we need that foundation for when they get into middle school and they start to kind of pull away and prioritize their friendships more. That basis of trust has to be there and the relationship has to already be there. And for parents who are, you're just tuning in, you know, right now, or you're thinking, I'm staying home now, what do I do? The first step is to start praying for that relationship and then pray with your children. And this is not hours of prayer and sweating and, you know, giving up television and and any other uh, entertainment. It's saying, I'm going to pray with my kids. I'm going to recite a Bible verse with my kids every night at dinner, before dinner, before bed. You have to start somewhere. I love the point that you made, David, that you said, where did these millennials come from? You know, what really burns me up is how often I see good God-fearing Christian people 
but they haven't raised their children to be good God-fearing Christian people. And it's because we've gotten caught up in this thing about our reputations and being liked and people who aren't Christians make fun of people who are Christians. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone say to me, oh, that's right. You guys can't do soccer this weekend because the game's at 10 a.m. on Sunday and you guys go to church. And instead of saying, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I say, yep, we're in church on Sundays at that time, unless we go on Saturdays at six so we can make the game. But we're going to be in church this weekend. You have to be firm about it. And I don't mean mean or rude. I'm not talking about smacking people down with your faith. Been there, done that. It's not effective. I've been very convicted by the Holy Spirit about doing that. It's not about smacking people down with your Bible verses. It's about being firm in what you believe and being confident about it and then inviting them along. We could go to church together on Saturday. I haven't always been as good about that as I'm trying to be, but there is absolutely an opportunity for us to impact others instead of having the world Literally, they're having the the, the harvest for secularism is the millennial generation, the first generation of Americans to be unchurched, the majority of them never having sat regularly in a church pew, and many of them never having been to church at all, and they're Americans. They are walking in the land. If there was ever a promised land for religious freedom, liberty, and the exercise of free will, it's here. Any millennial who's walking around with their custom Starbucks, it's half calf, half latte, 2% skim, you know, one splash of mocha, two squirts of sugar-free this, skinny, warmed, 32 degrees, blah, 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 blah. That generation of kids who they can have custom Christianity because they literally have, um, you, you have your Bible on your phone. It can read the Bible to you in your car. I mean, do you have a car that talks to you? We do. It, your, your parking brake is still engaged. It has an attitude, too. I can pair my phone with, with my car and listen to Christian radio, listen to Christian music, listen to Christian podcasts, listen to you version, read me the Bible while I'm driving or anywhere, really, as long as I have this smartphone, this little mini mega computer that I've got that everyone has. And this is the first generation with all of that access that's not actually churched. We have work to do. That's our responsibility. And so I'm not old enough to have like a technically our kids are not millennials. They're like on the cusp. We're not sure if they're going to be considered millennials or if they're going to be another named generation. But it's a burden. But instead of being burdened, instead of being bogged down, instead of being caught up in fear, I have to pray for revival. I have to pray with these kids and teach them to do the same thing. And I want to tell you one more thing from this book, and then we'll take a couple more calls for the end of the show, Growing in Prayer. In this book, he describes how when we pray, we, it's like the programmer behind the interface. So, you know, whenever you're looking at something on your laptop, you're looking at the front end, the interface that's created for you. But behind all of that are programmers. It might be one, it might be 20. They're programming and changing things, and they make it so that next time you come in, the font is different or it's bigger or it's smaller, whatever. When we pray, we change that background coding. God changes it, really. But the choice has to be ours to do the prayer so God can change us. He writes over all of the pain and the hurts and the the different things that we've been through, and he writes that over with his word. That's why we want to pray God's word back to him so we can rewrite that code that's behind what you're seeing right here. That's why it's so important. And I just, I can't stress it enough. It's what we have to do. And you hear so many fantastic hosts on these two networks, American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, talk about prayer. That's why, that's why it's so important. Let's take another call. Maria from Missouri. 
Thanks for calling in. Uh, yes, um, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, one thing I wanted to say about our freedoms and what we need to preserve for our children. Um, I learned a long time ago that we don't inherit our freedoms from our ancestors, from our food fathers. We borrow them from our children. Mm. And if people would just, you know, look at the youth and understand that everything, we owe them these freedoms, not, um, not that they were handed down to us. Amen. So um, that was one thing. And then also, um, as far as um, Christ and love and forgiveness and um, just renewing our faith in who do we turn to, you know, of course, the Holy Spirit is with us all the time, but people just are so busy and everything. And, you know, we're, things are just so devastating around the world and we can get kind of caught up in all that. But we're taught to, you know, pray for our enemies and forgive our enemies. Um, and if we would just take a look at it, you know, as far as love is not an emotion. Love is a power. Mm-hmm. And it's an action. And to forgive your enemies, even though that's not, um, you know, it's like, forgive, they don't know. I mean, they need, you know, they need to learn a lesson or whatever. And forgiving your enemies doesn't release anything from anybody but it does release that ultimate power of love it and does if you just look at love as, as as the ultimate power over every power amen thank you so much for calling into the show if you're on hold you can stay there because this show keeps on going after these important messages from one america news now we are also still going to be streaming so keep it here we'll be right back 